I first discovered Sadie M uh, about the same time everyone else did. Uh, I remember watching the previews on ABC on the, you know basically the how they were previewing and talking about all the new cartoons and primetime shows that were coming. I was watching those in the month month that led up to it. And I remember eventually I saw the five to ten minute sneak peek, if you will, on ABC TGIF special of the Saturday morning sneak preview. And I remember just watching those first five to ten minutes of, of Sonic Saturday AM and I was just like, Wow, this is gonna be something truly, truly amazing. I mean to see that kind of a show coming out on Saturday mornings, it really, and based on a video game of all things, because, you know, we've seen how video game cartoon adaptions have turned out. Some have turned out good, some have not. And to see that this one was coming, you know, you know, out, and the way it looked, it just, you know, it just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. And I remember getting up early the next morning and watching the whole episode which was super, which was entitled Supersonic and I've said this many times in many videos, I've said this and I've told many fans online through message boards, emails and all that, that I have to give the writers of that episode credit, you know, because they legitimately uh, made me believe that the characters of Princess Sally Acorn and Bunny Rabbit were going to remain under Robotnik's control for at least the rest of the season. But as we found out, if you watch the episode, uh, that wasn't the case. You know, Sonic was able to free them. Uh, but yeah, you know, when I first discovered it, you know, like I said, uh, you know, it just really blew my mind at how well, very, uh, how well done it was. And I tried to watch, and here's the thing, here's, here's the thing during the first season of the show, I tried to watch it as much as I could, but I couldn't. Uh, the problem was, uh, my family, due to some personal reasons that I won't get into, were, you know, mo were moving back and forth, kind of. You know, we had moved from the West Coast to the Midwest, so I was living in the Midwest when the show debuted. And, again, due to personal issues, we moved back to the West Coast, and we ended up living with my grandparents. And so, that kind of made it difficult on the West Coast, because... There were times where Saturday AM would air two hours earlier because uh, the ABC station that was located where I was, which is KGO, um, and I'm pretty sure this goes to all West Coast ABC stations, had to move it two hours, had to move it along with some other shows two hours earlier from the ori original time slot because they had either college football games, you know, planned, you know, planned to air or scheduled to air. They had um, PGA golf tournaments, maybe, maybe presidential addresses. Who knows? You know, they maybe even, maybe even NFL wild card games. We don't know. But they had all this all this schedule at times during the fall. So during the fall season, which was like the inaugural season or the premier season, um, you know, it was kind of difficult for fans for me to watch it. You know, at the time, you know, for myself to watch it. I mean, I tried everything, basically. You know, I tried, you know, I tried everything. I, I tried to get up early and watch the show, but I couldn't because I was... Because basically, my family and I were sharing, like, one room. Like, one bedroom was, like, our living room and our bedroom kind of deal. Um, but again, I'm not going to go into any detail because that's personal. But basically, let's just say we shared one room. And any time they came on early and I knew about it, I tried to watch it, but my family would tell me to turn it off, go back to bed. And then there were a couple of times that, if I remember correctly, I snuck out of the room, went into the living room, tried to watch it there, or into the kitchen and tried to watch it, but my grandparents would catch me and t tell me to go, to go to bed. So it wasn't until, again, due to personal issues, personal family issues that I ended up moving back to Kansas in the Midwest, I should say, well, which is where Kansas is, uh, with my father. Only then was I able to catch up on Sonic's at AM. Only then was I able to catch up on the first season 
In fact, I used some variety tapes, some VHS tapes, which I called my variety tapes, and I recorded other animated shows on that I recorded Saturday AM's first season on. Uh, I even dedicated a, a whole tape to the new second season. But, you know, and speaking of the second season, I actually missed the first episode. I actually missed, I actually missed the season premiere episode of the second season, which was Game Guy, because I overslept. I only watched like the last 10, 15 minutes of it. And I did record, though, the rest of the entire season, the, most of the seasons, I should say. I recorded most of the seasons, uh, with the exception that after I recorded the Void episode, my VCR just died out on me. And it took me years until finally I was able to get in contact with somebody who sent me a tape containing the final four episodes of season two, which were originally aired on ABC. And these were the ones originally aired on ABC. And then it took me like another couple of years until I got in contact with a friend of mine that I got to know uh, through some various sources. And she was able to send me, I don't know how many VCD copies of both seasons, of both season one and two. And then of course, finally, I was able to, like everybody else, get the box set when it came out two years ago. So for me, it, I kind of came full circle. You know, I discovered Satyam in the Midwest, and I was able to catch up on it when I went back to the Midwest. So I kind of came full circle. I was able to get a tape containing the final four episodes. I was able to get VCD copies from a friend, and of course buy the box set. Well, you know, being back in the Midwest. So I, like I said, it kind of came full circle. But yeah, um, again, like I said at the start, you know, when I first discovered Satyam, I was living in the Midwest. So. <laughs> And on to come full circle by going back to the Midwest and catching up on it, watching it, getting the VCDs and the DVD box set and the VHS tape uh, with the final four episodes, you know, kinda, I guess kind of paid off in the end. Yeah. I mean, who knew? Hello, YouTube. This is James Sullivan, a.k.a. user Hymatude. I'm participating here in the SETAM project being put up by Mr. B.F. Walmer, Brian Walmer, as you might know him. And I'd like to talk to you a little bit about my memories uh, regarding SETAM. I, I do have a couple of questions here that I need to answer. Okay. Um, First, discovering SATAM. My first memory of finding out that there was going to be a TV show was actually in, let's see, must have been about eight or nine. Uh, I was watching, I was over at my grandparents' house watching uh, some other show on. Saturday morning, and there was an announcement that came on during the credits with Sonic's voice saying, oh, catch my new show, you know? And I thought, wow, this show is going to be awesome. It's Sonic the Hedgehog. And so after that, I spent quite a lot of time uh, trying to spend, uh, spend nights over at my friends' houses because uh, we didn't have cable. <laughs> So, that would probably be my earliest memory. Alright, that's me done for question one.
the best stories that I feel came out of Saturday AM. Um, as we know, as we know, both seasons had some great episodes, some great stories in them. But I have to say that out of season one, I have to go with Sonic and Sally. Um, Sonic and Sally, Ultra Sonic, Sonic and the Secret Scrolls, and of course the pilot Hit the Tail. Uh, the reason I say so the reason I say those episodes is because Sonic and Sally. Uh, the one unique thing about season one that I think a lot of fans caught up on was the fact that every episode had Sonic's name in it. Because you know, even though an episode would be focused like entirely on another character or characters, it would still say Sonic to kind of indicate, yeah, Sonic's in this episode and everything. But uh, Sonic and Sally, which I shouldn't, which honestly I think should have been retitled Sonic, Tails, and Sally, well, Sonic, Sally, and Tails, um, you know, it was really a good episode because it was Tails who actually was able to deduce and figure out that the Sally that was in Nodhole at the time during the episode was not the real Sally. And I really like that because it shows that the innocence of a child can see the truth. I think that's like an old saying, like the innocence of a child can see what's true and what's not. So, basically they can see through a lie. And Tails was able to see through this lie that Robotnik had planted in the, in the, in, you know, in the Freedom Fighters. He was able to see through this lie, and because of that, he was able to help the Freedom Fighters figure it out, eventually find, figure out the same thing, and, you know, free Sally, the real Sally, and basically free the real Sally from Robotnik's clutches. So, yeah, that was a good episode, because like I said, it showed the innocence of how a child how the ch a child's innocence can detect what's real and what's not at times, what's true and what's a lie. And I also like it because it kind of focused on the relationship that Tails had with Sally. I mean, not with Sonic, but with Sally, which was, you know, kind of uh, unique because usually if you look at an episode like that, you think it's going to focus on Sonic and Tails' relationship, but it mostly focused on the relationship Tails has with Sally. So that was pretty good. Uh, Ultrasonic, I have to say, was a good episode because not only did we get introduced to Uncle Chuck for the first time, but we find out that Sonic, one of the reasons Sonic has a vendetta against Robotnik is because it's personal, because Robotnik took his Uncle Chuck away from him. And also the fact that, to me, um, I like it because, with the exception of Uncle Chuck being with them, it's one of the only times you see Sonic and Buddy Rabbit team up. Like I said, with the exception of Uncle Chuck being with them, it's the only time you see Sonic and Bunny team up because uh, usually you see Sonic teaming up with Sally and Bunny, or with just Sally. And you know, I like that pairing too. But uh, for Sonic and but but to me, this was a good pairing too because these are like two of the strongest members of the team. Bunny because of her strength, because of her cybernetics, and Sonic because of the speed. And that was a unique pairing. And I think in a way that's what fans wanted sometimes. You know, to see those two and. You know, and I think that's why it's so popular. That's why fans are so happy sometimes when they see these two characters team up together in the comics sometimes because the the two of the most unique and most powerful freedom fighters that you know they, that's in the group. But still, it was a very unique scenario earlier to see that. And I also like the fact that you know it's in a way it's kind of like a victory for them, but it's also like a defeat. Because even though they have victory, they also have to sacrifice to get that victory. And a sacrifice is sometimes like a defeat. And that sacrifice was Uncle Chuck losing his control again. Because what happened is they were able to use a power ring to help Uncle Chuck, you know, regain his free will. But as we saw during the episode and at the end of the episode, Uncle Chuck was fighting and eventually lost his battle and his free will back to Robotnik because the power ring power wasn't, you know, so strong. Um, and it was also the only time I think we've ever seen Sonic cry in an episode. So, overall, it was, it was a, a very decent episode and, you know, definitely set up, you know, for something we would see later on in Season 2. Um, Sonic and the Secret Scrolls, to me, was another good episode because 
I believe, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people would agree with me on this, it was actually the final episode of, the, of season one. Basically, it was the season finale. Because here you had the Freedom Fighters, with the exception of Teos, going on a journey into this ancient city of Mobius called, I can't even think of the name right now, Magna or whatever, that, I think that's the name, Magna, that, that's the name of it. And they were looking for these ancient scrolls that had, that had enough power to help them defeat Robotnik or fight against Robotnik. And I love the scenario, and I love how the, the, the scenario of the episode goes. I mean, I love how, you know, the only way they can get there is by flying, and they create this plane called the Freedom Stormer, and Sonic, believe it or not, is the only one that, you know, is, I, I guess, in a way, intelligent enough, if not smart enough, to realize, hey, you fly this thing, no matter how low or how high you fly it, you know, Robotnik's still going to pick you up on his radar. And eventually, I think that's what happens, because as soon as they gain, as soon as they gain access to, as soon as they gain the secret scrolls, and they figure out the last test is courage, because there's many tests they have to go through, all of a sudden, here's Robotnik popping up out of nowhere with the swap out to Stimpley. And just like Sonic said, even though he didn't really mention it afterwards, I think, in a way, Robotnik followed them through his radar. And the reason I also think it's the finale to the first season is because Robotnik, after him sniffing the swap bots, are blown off a hill, blown off the mountains, if you will, by um, a wind tunnel. And Sonic kind of, you know, telling everybody, hey, you know, Robotnik's history, you know, he's toast, he's done. And Bunny's reaction of, you know, like, he's dead, you know, I can't believe that. You know, those are indications to me that this was the season one finale, because Robotnik, after him and Snively climb back up the mountain, he tells Snively that Sonic is going to pay dearly for what he did and to mark his work. So that's why I believe season, this was a, the season one finale, and overall it was a generally good episode, because there are a lot of things in there. You know, that, you know, told you it was like the finale to the first season. And, of course, uh, Heads or Tails, which was a good episode as well. Uh, of course, it was the pilot, and it was the only rare time that you saw the characters in the early comic book incarnation on the screen, so that was pretty cool. And it really gave you an introduction to who the characters were, even though, like I said, they were the early comic book incarnations. So th those are my best episodes of season one. Uh, season two, of course, I think everybody knows, is Blast of the Past, the Void, and all the Doomsday episodes, and all the episodes leading up to Doomsday. Uh, the Blast of the Past one was because it was an origin story, and we basically got to meet the king for once, we can finally see Sally's father and who he was, and we also find out exactly what happens to him, and, and how this whole takeover of Robo by Robotnik took place. And we also get to see the Freedom Fighters as kids, and how almost because of the teenage adult Sonic and Sally, going back in time and trying to prevent this takeover from happening, how that almost affected the future. And I like how Sally kind of intervenes in the space-time continuum anyway by preventing Rosie from ever leaving Godhole. Because in the original timeline, Rosie did, does leave Godhole and gets roboticized uh, in the process. But because Sally stuck her nose in that, uh, Rosie does not get roboticized and she remains in Godhole. Uh, the boy, because, you know, Sally finally finds out where her father is. We get sort of a prelude and introduction to Doomsday. We get introduced to the person that was originally supposed to rule Mobotropolis, which is Axis Nagus. And also they finally gain the Freedom Fighters list, so I like that one. And, of course, the Doomsday Project episodes, you know, Cry of the Wolf, Druid Hedge, and Spyhog, and Doomsday Project episodes. So, because they had everything, you know, Cry of the Wolf, you know, we used the Freedom Fighter list to find the wolf pack. Uh, Druid Hedge, you know, Tails finally becomes a freedom fighter. And also the introduction of the Power Stones, which play a role later on. Uh, Spyhog, because, um, because Uncle Chuck's, you know, secret gets out, but eventually he tries to keep it a secret later on. And of course, Doomsday Project, you know, what more can you say about it? What more can you say about it? Because it has everything in there, it brings in the Power Stones, Sonic and Sally, you know, 
use those to destroy the Doomsday Project. Sally, for temporarily, a temporary time, gained Sonic super speed and I think a little bit of his attitude or personality. And uh, overall, those are generally, and overall, just generally a good, a good episode and finale to the series. Originally, I think it was supposed to be a season finale, but it's a finale to the series. Overall, very good, and yeah, you know, to me, those episodes of season one and season two are some of the best stories I think ever came that ever came out of Saturday End. With all respect to the others, those I believe were the best. I, I truly do. So keep looking. Question number two, best stories to come out of Set AM. Well, let's see, probably one of the best stories other than the Doomsday Saga was um, Blast to the Past. I say that particularly because we get to go back in time and see the characters in the show as they were kids, which um, has always been quite interesting, even in the comics. Um, and also it was a two-part episode. So you had to be there one week and then be there the next week. Um, but as far as the favorite stories, let's see, I've always been a big Tales fan. So I liked, uh, <laughs> I liked, um, Ghostbusted and Drood Henge for my own reasons, because they focused a lot on that character. Um, and that would be all I can think of for that. Um, do I, cons well, considering, you know, that many people think it's like an underground film, and myself being the one that kind of started that, I do have to say that the Doomsday Project is indeed, the final four episodes of Sad AM, that is, together are indeed uh, the Sad AM movies. You know, because a lot of fans have always wanted a Sad AM movie, but, you know, we never got one, and, and, um, you know, to me, when, when I look at the final four episodes of Sad AM, and I look at, you know, how they kind of interlock together a little bit, how they, how they like continue one after the other, to me, 
I believe it's the, no doubt it was originally supposed to be a movie. I mean, I took the final four episodes off the box set, if you will, and through one of my, through a DVD recorder of mine, I was actually able to kind of put them together to see if maybe, to sort of in a way test the theory if maybe it was meant to be a movie. And when I did that, and I did this recently, you know, I put the title Doomsday Project and I just went and it, you know, to see what would happen. And as soon as I did that, and it went right to Cry of the Wolf, you know, no title introduction or interruption, and I, no title card, I should say, interruption. And I saw that. To me, it's like, wow. You know, looking how well it was done, I was thinking, wow. If this wasn't meant to be a movie, you know, I don't know what was. And I think originally they had planned maybe for those episodes to be aired as a movie. I mean, I've always had this feeling that, you know, somewhere, sometime, that somewhere, you know, 15 years ago, they had originally planned for the final four episodes to be aired as a movie. That someone may have come up with that idea to probably air it as a movie, maybe air it maybe on TGAF Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday evening. But I think that's what someone may have had originally planned. I could be wrong, you know, but I've always had this feeling that that could have been what hap happened. Uh, but unfortunately, that never really came to pass because, like I said, I don't know if that really was something they had planned or not. And and overall, though, you know, when you look at them, and if you do what I did, and you kind of put them together, you know, you put the Doomsday title card first, and then you just go like fate, and you put and you record the episode. You know, press pause as soon as it fades out to black, and then press pause as soon as it fades in to the next episode without the title card. You kind of notice that it looks exactly like that. It exactly feels like it's supposed to be a movie because the way it's interlocked, the way it's like the way one story goes from the other. So, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I do believe that in a way, the final four episodes of Saturday M, which were Cry of the Wolf, Drew Hedge, Spyhog, and Doomsday Project, were originally supposed to be the movie. Or, in this case, is the Sadiyam movie, underground or not, is indeed, in my heart, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people agree, is indeed the Sadiyam movie. Either we get one that's computer-generated imagery, a live action, or whatever in the near future, that's based off Sadiyam in some way, you know, this, to me, will always be the movie of Sonic, Sadiyam, and that is Doomsday Project Sonic, no doubt about it. Uh, I believe what led to Sadie M's downfall is not just, you know, everything, you know, like Ben Hurst, you know, everything that, you know, Ben Hurst said in his interview on the DVD. He, um, but I think it had to do with some other things as well. Um, I, I believe that, you know, one of the major things that led to Sadie M's downfall was the fact that, and I mentioned this earlier, you know, because of my personal experience, 
was the fact that if you lived on the West Coast, you know, you couldn't watch it as much, especially during the fall season. Because during the fall season, you know, uh, ABC on the West Coast, the West Coast stations of ABC would always, um, you know, every now and then would have something planned on set, have a sporting event or some kind of presidential event planned for that Saturday. So if like a college football game was originally was scheduled to air at 9 o'clock Pacific, then that means all the shows, including Saturday AM, would be moved an hour or two earlier. And Saturday AM, like I mentioned earlier, was originally, which when it was, was originally scheduled to air at 7, 7.30. But because of these sporting events and presidential events, was always moved uh, two hours earlier, up to 5, maybe 5.30 in the morning, sometimes 6. And again, for me, it made it difficult because sometimes I would try my best to turn on the TV and watch the show, but then I'd be told to go back to bed. And sometimes I'd try to sneak out into the living room or the kitchen and try to turn it on, but be caught and told to go back to bed. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that lives on, that lives, uh, that lived and currently lives on the West Coast that um, dealt with that. Excuse me, there's a fly going around. Uh, but I'm not the only one that dealt with that. You know, I'm pretty sure that there were other people growing up that dealt with it too. To me, it's like if you only, but to, so to me, it's like if you only lived on, if you lived in the Midwest, past the mountain time zone, and most importantly on the East Coast time zone, you were able to see the series. On the West Coast, you couldn't, but Mountain, Midwest, and East, you were. That, that, that was the, unique, that was the uh, unique thing about it. You know, you were able to watch the show in, as it originally aired and during its original time. You know, there was nothing, you know, nothing, um, you know, blocking it. You know, there's nothing interrupting it. You were able to watch it at the time it was originally scheduled. And to me, I always thought, you know, if it, you know, to me, I always thought if ABC wanted to, the local stations on the west coast of ABC wanted to, they could have easily, knowing that Sonic was probably the most popular show they had on Saturday morning, could have easily left it the way it was. And yes, there were times they did, that they did, but most times they didn't. You know, because it's Ben Hurst, and to quote what he said, they were being bounced around, if you will. They were being bumped around a lot because of these events, because of these because these sporting and presidential events. You know, so you couldn't really watch the show the way you wanted. And that's what, to me, caused it to fall in the ratings because one of the strongest viewing television viewing ships that you know television has, that any network has, is on the West Coast. In the East Coast, Midwest and Central Midwest and Mountain Time Zones, you know Central Time Zones in the Midwest and Mountain Time Zones, those are strong too because the shows don't really have to move around that much. But the West Coast and the East Coast are your strong viewing areas for television, for networks. And when one area has to preempt or move a show to an hour or two earlier in the morning or something like that, or at a time you can't watch it, it hurts that show. It hurts its, it, it hurts its rating. So, so for Saturday AM to, um, lose a lot of ratings, especially during the second season, it wasn't just due to the fact that the Power Rangers won at the same time. It was due to the fact, as Ben Hurst said, that they will be pushed around, bounced around, and mainly being pushed and bounced around on the West Coast because on the West Coast, you know, all those sporting events and presidential things and whatever were aired at 9 o'clock. So, unless, like I said, unless you lived in the Mountain Time Zone, Central Time Zone, or East Time Zone, you couldn't watch Sonic at a.m. at the regular time. You had to basically get up as early as you can, and if it was all right, 
watch it at 6 o'clock, 5.30 or 5, 5 o'clock in the morning. And that was it. And that's why I also, and you know what, and that's why I also believe that later on the West Coast ABC stations would start airing, would start airing an hour's worth of Sonic Saturday AM because they knew fans wanted to catch up on it. And, and you would not miss an episode. I believe that's why they started doing that because of what happened. But yeah, you know, in my honest opinion, I believe that uh, Saturday AM's downfall wasn't, wasn't just because of everything Ben Hurst did, from you know the Power Rangers to the new people coming in at ABC uh, and, and using the same prickly down new broomsticks clean. I don't think it was none of that. I mean, I, well, it was a lot of that. I, I'm, correction, it was a lot of that. But it wasn't just all of that. But I also believe, again, it was because ABC lost a lot of strong viewership for the show on the West Coast when it had to be moved to those earlier time slots. And that's why, I, and to me, I firmly believe that was one, if not the major reason, besides all the others, why SATAM, you know, had its downfall and was canceled um, in the long run. I, I truly believe that. Uh, the third season to me would have probably been the best season out of the series. I mean, uh, with all due respect to the second season, from what Ben Hurst had described to us on the set, on the DVD box set, and then um, before that on some of the online chats he had, uh, he described basically it was like it was going to be a whole new ball game for the characters. Uh, he said that Tails was going to get some new power that he would discover and you know, used to help save the others and save, save the other freedom fighters, I should say. And that there was going to be a love triangle between Sonic, Sally, and another freedom fighter. And Snivelly, of course, was going to ascend and then descend uh, after freeing Nagus and, and, and eventually join the freedom fighters. And, you know, overall, you know, from what he described and um, from what other fans have, you know, talked to, asked him about, uh, yeah, I think overall, I, I, again, like I said, I truly believe the third season would have been the best out of them all. Uh, there have been some fans that have said, I don't know if these, if they just spread these because these were rumors or they had, or they're hoping this would happen. But there have been some fans that have said that they've heard stories that there were going to be other seasons after the third season. That there was going to be a fourth season with Knuckles and Mechasonic were going to appear. Uh, you know, stories that there was going to be a season five that maybe we were going to find, get, you know, introduced to Amy Rose, possibly, or something. You know, things like that. Maybe get introduced to the chaotic, you know. 
you know, these are basically these are stories and you know from uh, that I've heard that fans, you know, have talked about and have said that they basically these are stories that they heard. You know, what could have been that was originally probably planned for what if the third season had you know been ran on television, but possibly a fourth and fifth season would have been like. You know, so, but. You know, to be honest, I, I really believe that the third season would have been a great season. Um, you know, I know Ben Hurst and, you know, even myself, and I know a lot of fans that would love to see that third season finally get made. Even if it's in a movie format, we would like to see it get made to see exactly what it would have been. And, you know, again, like I said, a lot of fans came up with stories of saying, you know, oh, you know, we heard that, you know, there was that if the third season had been made, there was going to be a fourth season, this was going to happen in the fourth season, and, and oh, if that would have happened, this would have happened, they would have had a fifth season, and all that. You know, these kind of, you know, just all these different stories of what would have been had the third season been made. Uh, but, unfortunately, the third season was never made, but, you know, one can never give up hope, because eventually, possibly, it will be made. You know, maybe someone like Ben Hurst will say, hey, you know, this show looked pretty good, um, looks like they had another season plan. Let's go for it. You know, uh, and, and the fans, you know, and the fan support for the third season is a strong one. You know, I mean, I support a third season if it ever gets made. Um, but yeah, fan support for it is really strong because I can remember four or five years ago, um, I was on the internet. And I discovered one of the sites, which was SonicStatiam.com or StatiamFans.com or whatever you call it. And on this site, they had a webcomic that they made based on the Lost Third Season. And they took basically episode took titles and they basically made web, like I said, they made webcomics out of these. So, you know, basically they took what they felt and heard were the titles for some of the episodes and they made, like I said, they made all these webcomics out of them. Uh, two webcomics were based on, were called Barrera of the Aftermath, which were, which someone said were the original titles for the two-parter that was supposed to take place in the third season. And then another was called The Journal. So, I mean, these were titles that they came up with. And then eventually, some fan, I don't know who it was, finally took some time out and took Barrera of the Aftermath the webcomic and turned it into some kind of flash movie, if you will, with bubbles, with little pop-up bubbles and everything, and a little bit of animation. So again, that shows you how dedicated the fans were to the third season. Even though some of the titles that you know the fans read about for the third season, they kind of felt were probably exaggerated or made up, or that perhaps somebody out there that knows about the fans' support for the show probably wants to play some kind of cruel joke. But, uh, but uh, you know, yeah, you know, I truly believe that, again, as I said, the third season maybe would have probably been, what, probably would have been the best season, you know, done for Saturday AM had it been made. And, you know, you never know. And you never know. You know, possibly it will be made. And maybe the support from the fans ends with these webcomics and everything based on what the third season would have been. Maybe they'll be heard. And, you know, someone will say, okay, let's make it happen. Hey, you just got to have faith and pray it does.
Uh, Fatty Adams run on the USA Network back in the mid-90s personally was probably the worst thing that ever happened to the series. I mean, when I first found out that Fatty Adams was on the USA Network, I was, I was in school and it was during the summer, I think, of 97, I believe. And I was part of this vocational summer, kind of a summer program, vocational summer program, where you kind of got like a taste of what it's going to feel like to live in a dorm with other people. And I lived in this kind of like apartment complex with some other, with some other guys, uh, some other you know some other guys and everything. And we went to work and we had various jobs to take care of at other you know, at the universities or little small businesses, and we got paid for it. Um, but I remember one morning waking up real early, getting ready for that, getting ready for work. And I remember tuning on the USA Network, because at the time USA Network still had the Cartoon Express, or in this case it was renamed the Extreme Action Hour. And I remember tuning it on, and it, I saw Sonic Saturday AM on there, and I'm like, oh my God. You know, this is where it ended up. It ended up, uh, and I'm like, oh my God, this is where it ended up. Basically, what happened is that USA, I guess, had bought the right to air Saturday AM as a as a weekday morning show. Uh, the only bad thing about it, though, was because even though I didn't see this during some of the episodes I saw, the only bad thing about it was that. What I saw later on from some of the episodes that people recorded off of USA and that I downloaded off the computers was the fact that they had butchered or edited some of the episodes. Uh, the reason I say butchered is because a lot of fans have used, have used that analogy you know, when it comes to the USA Network run of the series. Um, because what happens is that USA Network, I guess the time restraint, cut out like chunks of scenery from the episodes. Um, like, for example, in the Doomsday Project episode where Sonic is planting the little mines on the diamond glass dome of the Doomsday Project, that scene is entirely cut out and instead we go straight to where Sonic nearly roboticized. You know, which is kind of weird. Weird. But I guess, again, due to time restraints, USA had to do it. And, but, you know, this really, you know, pissed a lot of fans off. I mean, they were like, how in the hell can USA Network do this? I mean, this is not even their show, but I guess because part of the deal they made with Dick Entertainment and Sega, and Sega, they were. But the only reason, the only reason Saturday M had a, the run it did on the USA Network was because a part of this deal between USA and Dick Entertainment and Sega was for USA to be the place for the world premiere of the Sonic Christmas special, which was Sonic Christmas Blast. And to me, and that, again, was the only reason the show, that Saturday M and Adventures, believe it or not, was shown on the USA Network because the fact that Christmas Blast, which was a combination of Saturday M and Adventures, was first originally going to air, make its debut. So, again, to me, that's the only reason USA had the deal that it did with, um, with Dig Entertainment and Sega to air Saturday AM, even if it did butcher and edit, as some fans say. They, you know, like I say, they say butcher because they're pissed off about it. Well, they were pissed off about it. It was because, you know, they had this deal, they had this Christmas special. But, you know, in closing, again, like I said, um, I personally believe, and I'm sure a lot of fans agree with me on this, that the run that, the, that Saturday AM had on the USA Network, even though the USA Network is a great network, no doubt about that, but the run that it had on the USA Network uh, wasn't the best run that it should have had. And that if USA was going to do this, they should have just left it the way it was. Not, you know, change anything. Anything about it. But, yeah... It probably wasn't the best decision to make. It probably wasn't the best deal made. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, let's just hope if, you know, there's any other... Let's just hope if USA ever does bring back the cartoon 
Action Hour or Express that they don't put you any more shows like they did Saturday M. But one never knows. Did Satyam inspire uh, the stories that currently run in the comics? <laughs> Honestly, hell yeah. What and why do I say that? Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Ben Hurst said in an interview that some of the plans that he had for the third season were to, you know, have Tails discover some new power, was to develop a love triangle. Uh, was to have Snively ascend and then descend and join the Freedom Fighters. And you know what? All this that he had planned for the third season took place in the comic book. Tails discovers his power in the comics, as we've seen. Uh, we have seen various love triangles between Sonic, Sally, and a character named Jeffrey St. John, who's like the leader of the Secret Service. Then later on between Sonic, Sally, and Mino Mongoose. And possibly in the near future with Sonic Sally and a character named Monkey Kong, and maybe even, maybe even if fans maybe want to debate this, if they want to, Sonic Sally and Amy. Who knows? I mean, and these, and then of course Snively ascending and descending and joining the Freedom Fighters, that too happened in the comics. I mean, currently he has ascended, you know, along with the Iron Domain and the current storyline. But, um, you know, honestly, again, I truly believe Satyam inspired many of the stories that you see in, in the comics. Because um, originally, you know, you look at issue zero of the Sonic the Hedgehog comic book, and Sonic and Sally, they meet in that issue while they're still teenagers, which doesn't make sense. But then later on, the comic kind of starts to merge itself and starts to revamp itself a little bit by taking some of the stories from Saturday AM and merging them into their continuity. And by doing so, we finally see, just as we did in Saturday AM, that Sonic and Sally have known each other since they were kids, along with everybody else. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you know, you know, if anybody was to ask, you know, that question to me, you know, like, like you have, um, yeah, I truly believe, you know, yeah, I would tell them the same thing. Yeah, you know, Sadie M did inspire some of the stories in, in the comic. I mean, you can see that even in the current storylines, and the way they're darker and more dramatic and more action-packed. I mean, you see that. I mean, this is stuff you think to yourself, wow, it's almost like watch, reading an episode of Sadie M. That's what it feels like. And, I truly believe that, and I'm sure a lot of fans believe that. But, but yeah, I, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Sadie Am inspired the stories in the comics, and will probably inspire more of the stories that come in the future issues of the comics.
The legacy of Saturday AM. Wow. What kind of a legacy do I believe it's going to leave? Well, I think it's already left a huge legacy that continues on even to this day. I mean, it's just one of those rare animated show, Saturday morning shows that, you know, when it first aired, it was something special. And when it was canceled, it was the kind of show that fans wanted to see more of. I mean, there have been many shows, many shows that fans have, you know, created websites and forms and petitions, you know, for, to, you know, get it back on the air or to get something, you know, out, you know, something about it released. And Saturday M has, you know, done just that as well. I mean, you take a look at shows like Family Guy. You know, when it was, when Fox canceled that show, fans didn't like it. They wanted Family Guy back on the air. They petitioned, they emailed, they faxed, they phone called. Until finally Fox said, well, okay, I didn't know it was this popular, let's bring the show back. You know, and, and the same could be what said for Saturday AM. You know, fans petitioned and emailed and wrote and videoed and phone called and faxed in you know, Dig Entertainment and said, hey, look, we want something of Saturday AM released. Until finally, Shout Factory came around hearing this and said, hmm, you know, we can do something. Let's try something. And then finally, you know, Shell Factory brings out the DVD box set. So, you know, overall, um, you know, I think Saturday M has already left a huge legacy, and it's going to continue to leave a huge legacy. I mean, fans, I mean, there are going to be fans of new generations of fans, I should say, even now, that will watch Saturday M and enjoy it. I mean, I have nephews and nieces that have watched Saturday M's, and even cousins that watch them, and they enjoy it. So, yeah, I truly believe that even when we're all long gone, that there are going to be generation after generation after generations that are going to watch Saturday M, and they're going to enjoy it as much as we do, and they're going to want to see more of it. They're going to want to see something new about it. They're going to want to see some kind of some revamp for them. They're going to want it as well, if not stronger than we want. I mean, not saying that we don't want something back as strong as we do, but honestly, you know, I believe that's the kind of legacy Saturday AM is going to leave. And it, to me, it's going to be a legacy that's never going to be tarnished, never going to be touched, and it's going to live on forever. And that's really all I have to say on what the legacy of Saturday AM is going to leave, or has left and will continue to do so.